Welcome, Welcome to, to the Prescriptions, Prescriptions Podcast, bringing TCM to mental health. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to episode 14 of Prescriptions. It's June 5th, 2020. I'm here with slash Jacqueline, Sean, <laughs> and Pong. And uh, tonight is, or today, is the lunar eclipse, and it's um, it's been been different for me I think it's been a smooth day for most it's been pretty emotional for me I've been kind of up and down I think both uh, the new moon and the moon just kind of I'm picking up a lot of people's energies as a water sign and uh, yeah I've been having to do a lot of cleansing a lot of sitting, um, kind of shifting my energies between being outside in the crowd and in. I will say I did, um, after having a couple of days, I live in downtown LA, my front window, uh, the front door of my building was smashed in, all kinds of, the Starbucks across from me was completely looted and um, downtown pretty much looks like we're preparing for a hurricane in the South. I haven't seen anything look like this since I was a little kid and, and watched everybody for a hurricane. So I, kind of been going back and forth between being out in the more aggressive energy and then having to kind of go out and mill in the people who were a little more kumbaya to uh, to kind of balance that out. Um, and it's just uh, really intense times and that kind of leads us into what we want to talk about tonight, which is basically hearing a lot about this generation being called the lockdown generation. And uh, there was a speaker um, in the, uh, I always get the acronym wrong, but the American Institute of Traditional Chinese Medicine and Mental Health. Uh, there was a speaker that uh, spoke there. Wong, you'll have to remind me of her name. I've, it's Dr. Ra, I, I believe it was. I think so, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and she spoke about uh, the initiative with ACEs and trying to get more kids tested. For those of you not familiar with that, it's, um, it's kind of traumatic experiences that kids have, and there's a scale and certain questions, and kind of you've, you answer these questions and things that you've experienced, and they're by no means everything that you can experience. It's traumatic as a child or adverse, but then there's also another scale that helps you level out whether or not uh, other influences that you've had can kind of help you with that. Um, but we, we've talked a little bit about how acupuncturists can get involved in doing some of this testing. And that kind of led us to today's topic of the resilience that needs to have, and especially children, and what the effects of this whole time is going to be on the children of our future. Because these ACEs studies go out like 20 years, and they, they talk about the effects of things that happened to you when you were small. Um, I think one thing that's really interesting and I'll turn it over to you guys and that I think about a lot is we don't really get to see the images of, of the kids who may not have both parents at home homeschooling them and we don't know what their traumas are. We know that kind of the kids that we're getting to see look pretty well supported and they're mostly just bored because terrible teachers but if you take into account things like I either read or heard somewhere that the domestic violence calls 
have a little bit more than doubled. I think they used to be like 150 in a week or a month. I can't remember which, and they jumped up to like 350. So those kids are experiencing really great stress. And it will, it will be up to all of us to kind of be watching to see how kids are acting and what's going on. And I think now's a really good time to try and put things in place mm. to balance out the stuff that these kids have been freaked out about. Even if you have a safe and happy household, this is really scary. I mean, we now had, you have to wear masks everywhere and uh, people are rioting and trying to understand uh, death and whether you've tried to keep it from your kids or not, they've likely seen the video of the eight minutes and 46 seconds of, of a white cop having me on a black man screaming, I can't breathe. Um, and, and how equipped we all are as adults to explain this to the children and help them deal with this. And in the midst of our having to deal with it because I have skills and have learned how to cope with these kind of things and it's been difficult for me. So mm. with everybody else trying to deal with their own stuff, you wonder how much um, is really happening for the kids. Yeah, I think your perspective on the fact that you said faculty and ability to cope is so huge. And I can remember being introduced to ACEs for the first time and going through that questionnaire and just realizing that, yeah, hey, this actually did happen to me or I had experienced this. Um, and so many of us don't know or maybe classified things in a certain way that these could actually be adverse experiences. And I don't necessarily, don't quote me on this, but, um, I don't believe that a global pandemic or uh, police brutality and violence against vulnerable communities um, that we're experiencing right now would show up exactly on ACE. But I think the way in which it's being handled at home could definitely translate to an ACE situation. And so first and foremost, I would just like to tell all the listeners to look it up adverse childhood experiences take it and start to rethink about what those experiences meant to you when did they happen did you ever process them um because that's exactly what i think starts the conversation to your point Didi. is first of all are they recognized second of all did they ever get a chance to be resolved? And if not, how have they manifested? Because from there, that's how you decide how to shape the conversation about, well, what this child or an adult who went through it as a child needs in terms of support. I think it ties in very well with our last topic of uh, shadow work, because not only Everyone doing their kind of shadow work right now, but this whole past 10 days has been our country doing its shadow work. And 
it's massive. Like it is so big and we're all processing it together at the same time. And we all have different levels of capability to do that. And that just trickles down. Like, you know, if your parents aren't coping well and this is making more of their shadow come up, then they, they really can't help you if you're watching them go through what they're going through. And that's even scary for a child. Um, so I, I, it makes me wonder from a TCM perspective, like, is it possible that this will already be draining to a child's gene? Yeah. So I, so dealing with childhood, uh, adverse childhood events, uh, I think, um, is interesting because personally, I've the, for the last few days going through this cycle, like you, Didi, I've been feeling a lot of things coming up, especially during the new moon and now the full moon. Uh, today was pretty nice. Uh, woke up feeling pretty good, felt good throughout the day, but then later in the day, a lot of things were coming up. So def definitely, whether we like it or not, a lot of things are coming up for us collectively and individually. Mm -hmm. and especially with children, the question of re resiliency is an important one because technically at an age before, you know, before they fully develop themselves, they are dependent on their parents to help them to kind of um, assist them in that ability to self-regulate. And as you were saying, a lot of it translates downward from a social sphere down to the fa family Sphere, and the parents are responsible a lot of the time for doing that. And from what I've been seeing on the news, I, I'm kind of like a little bit optimistic because I'm seeing all these millennial parents bringing their kids out to the rallies and they're saying like, my kid, she needs to see, you know, that the world is unjust. She needs to know that she needs to act up and speak up for the people who are not represented. So in some ways, I'm seeing some good signs that, um, parents are doing a good job at helping their kids realize that they do have the ability to help the world, to assist in the world, and also ability to, to have a sense of uh, agency, that they can help regulate their own emotions. So I'm optimistic about what's going on with the next generation because they seem to be, to have a lot of the issues that the, uh, that relates to the mental health being addressed more because as a society, we are becoming more aware of this, of these issues. Um, but on the other hand, we also are seeing the, the rise of more domestic violence, the increased numbers of stuff that are coming up, which speaks to more of our generation, the millennials, who are now dealing with a lot of the unaddressed, you know, adverse mm. childhood that we are, are, that ourselves are carrying. And because now we're at, at the as a stage where we are parents to children, it's becoming more important for us to become aware of these issues and address them ourselves, so that we can, you know, be more effective at helping our children. To your point on Jing, I think there's a potentiality for both imprinting, you know, pre heaven and post heaven. I think there's been um, a couple of friends of mine that have had babies during the time of COVID and just the experience of is the family support there 
is the father's support there because of just certain circumstances that hospitals are allowing? Um, and then even the degree of after the birth, you know, how much support can a couple have or a single mother have when we have this idea of social distancing and quarantine, um, even to the degree of like testing and if the mom had COVID, you know, separating the child. I don't know for a fact that this is actually occurring, but someone posed the question to me, um, you know, the child to the mom, you know, so the, so the baby didn't have any issues with coronavirus. And I was thinking to myself, you know, how is it that these children in the womb are absorbing that energy? But then for, you know, whether they're infants to children, inherently all the energy that yourself, Huang, or Didi are feeling or... Um, us all of the collective, we know that the kids are much more sensitive and open and haven't um, created such barriers like us adults. So in terms of what they're literally digesting through their spleen in their post seven Jing, I think can definitely plant into their overall like psyche and Shen layers. To Huang's point about the optimism though, I think granted it's not fun to have such this degree of adversity, which we haven't seen, you know, for as long as I've lived. And it'd be interesting to hear your comments, Didi, in terms of how you grade severity um, of what's going on. But, you know, it's never too early to start the work as we talked about with the shadow stuff last week. So it's not pleasant. Um, but I think one thing I heard today that was so touching to me is like, Let's make this movement a movement and not a moment. And I think that's, if this has happened before, um, but how can we actually change the trajectory? I guess in, in terms of your, your talking about Severity. This has made me think about a lot of things. Seeing people take their children to uh, these marches actually made me remember that I had an aunt that took me to a Vietnam War demonstration when I was a kid. Mm. And I remember <laughs> my aunt's first husband uh, was a truck driver and he went to Vietnam and he came home and his first week home he was in an accident and the truck pinned him and he lost his legs and wow. everyone was just like, how do you survive Vietnam and come home for a week and then lose your legs? And I remember being really, really touched by that as a child and thinking about that a lot because they, they televised a lot of just like terrible, terrible shooting on the news. It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like now where they say, oh, we're sorry that you're going to see these images. The images just came up and mm. no one really thought to keep you from seeing them as a kid, at least not in, in my household. And, and, and I saw a lot of that and I thought, I remember being in this big group of people who were a bunch of hippies really, and, and um, but 
there were people who were angry, there were people who were peaceful. There was all the same stuff that's happening now. Then you fast forward and, and my other experience at rallies is of course with, with AIDS. And I remember this week walking things and thinking, okay, this is very similar to how we organized and wanting to tell them things like, no, you need to really do a die-in right here. Or you want to, the things that kind of worked for us, um, but you have to kind of stand back. And I've just really been proud of to see the youth out there doing their thing. And I think that's a lesson, like we always need the youth to lead these things and then we need to join them time and I think that's really kind of what's happened and it's been really touching to see um, from what I've seen in my lifetime for what has been successful it really take the masses of uh, white people white people have to be out and they have to be loud and they have to they have to do what I'm seeing on the news now. I, if you see a white girl who's got a handful of stitches because a cop knocked her over, it gets a lot more play and a lot more emotional involvement than if you see a person of color with a black eye or, a black eye or whatever. People have more sentimental feelings towards you know the white girl saying these cops blew me up or beat me up or whatever. And that's happening. So if that continues to happen and those people continue to tell their stories, it's their parents who get incensed or their aunts and uncles come out and join and say, no, not to my Sarah. And, uh, but unfortunately it does, it does take those type of people being hurt in a way that is very minor compared to what people of color experience. But it, as more of a fervor. I understand what you mean. Like, I don't know if anyone's having issues with anyone in their life when you don't exactly agree on what should be done or what's going on. I was, I'm having um, a little bit of some issues with my parents and I think most of it was coming from, it was misdirected anger it was anger about everything that's happening. And when I get fiery, so I was talking to them and they might not have agreed with something that I thought would help out a situation. And I was just like, I got really mad. I was like, I don't want, and I don't mean this exactly, but I said, like, I don't want a relationship with you until you use your white privilege for good. Mm. And I, it's not my place to make anyone feel a certain way or it's not my right to be upset with someone who's not upset. But I felt like me going out today, it made um, what's going on a little bit more real for them, like the police brutality, because they could just pepper spray the whole crowd for no reason. They can shoot rubber bullets for no reason like the president did it to get a photo up with a bible that he held up and, so, and that was gross yeah that was pretty awful like there's so much more violence happening with the the police they're acting like world war three 
And we like people just want to be heard and acknowledge their pain, just acknowledge mm. like their history and yeah, getting a little bit fiery. Hmm. <laughs> I think quiet. you bring up I just want to say one more thing. It's because it's not good for my mental health. Yeah. Right. Like to keep that in control. Yeah, so you sure you're not Gen Z? They're super fat. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's my fire, my Leo. So G Generation Z are people born after 1995, and their generation will continue until 2025. So that range of people uh, in terms of age-wise. And I, I, I think we don't realize that they grew up in a very different world. And for this, this racial issue for them is something quite unacceptable to the point that they don't, they viscerally cannot accept it. It's not something they grew up with. So we grew up in a world where racial prejudice was still a thing, even when it was hidden and kind of like suppressed. And then people kind of say, oh yeah, we, we support you know, equal rights, but then in practice we don't. But for Gen Z who are still in their youth right now, they grew up in a world where that was the norms. And for them, it doesn't make sense that the people don't respect each other or treat each other differently based on skin color. And so I think definitely the youth are really moved to have their voice heard and really move because they can't stand this kind of cognitive dissonant where this is their reality and, and our reality is kind of intruding onto them, which is more or less our shadow side of our collective shadow side right now. But, yeah. yeah, I think you guys are both bringing up the idea of creating a firm boundary and potentially losing someone from it. Like I saw a video recently where it was like, you know, if you're not granted, there's no right way to do this. Um, there's a lot of wrong ways to do this, but one person was mentioning like, if you're not losing people um, probably as a white person in your life, you know, you're probably not doing it right um, because of the idea of, not just being tolerant, like Huang is saying, but to be anti-racist. And I think kids nowadays are being faced with that idea of, um, you know, groupthink, where you have the whole, whether it's clothes as a trend, whether it's entertainment as a trend, um, or whether it's um, sports or arts or creativity, now it's literally like morals and virtues. Um, being put in their face and they're having to say like are you accepting this or not you know can we actually coexist um because it's to that degree of necessity in them that it's not just i can turn a blind eye anymore it's like literally um i won't accept that in you and that i think is a teaching point for also the people that are um ignorant to their own fault or ignorant just from their experience of not being educated and learned about what this really means and that was refreshed in my mind um and Didi, i would like to hear some about your childhood um experiences in terms of political stuff i know for me i was watching a show called rami which is about um a first generation um egyptian muslim man and they did a highlight back to 9-11 and he was the only Middle Eastern person in class. And after the 9-11 experience, like three of his white friends came up to him like, are you a terrorist? And they 
basically played through the whole scenes of his emotions and feelings. And I was thinking back to like, what did my school do, you know, the day of 9-11 in terms of the discussions we had or what did my parents do or eventually what did my school do after we came back and how did we kind of like unpack all this? And I think that's a big thing that we need to consider with what's going on in our global environment right now is how are we unpacking COVID? Um, how are we unpacking racial injustice and police brutality? Because it's not enough to just say it happened um, and then leave it be. Because I, I was thinking like, wow, if I didn't have the certain experience of parents that wanted to discuss this or school that wanted to discuss this, you could go along thinking that every single person based upon their name or the skin color was a terrorist. And so now considering the mask environment, you know, like how do we trust people when you can't read their emotions or touch people or hug people because they could be have cooties, you know, then that was already a thing. <laughs> to um, what does it mean to see a colored person or indigenous person uh, being bullied or threatened on the playground or called certain names for people who want to be allies as children. You just reminded me of a story, Sean, and I've, I've talked about it before on the podcast, how the, the people I was bullied by were African-American kids, not white kids. And that was really surprising to me. And I remember uh, my mom used to love to do something different with my hair for picture day. Um, and it was, it was always really traumatic because that's not how I looked 364 days of the year, but she would <laughs> updo or something for my pictures. And so I'm sure you guys know, like in the African community and people of color hair and kind of hair you have is a, is a, is a really big thing and it's very yeah. divisive. Mm -hmm. um, I just learned a few years ago that there actually is some black in, in my genes. I always assumed there was, but I was always told there wasn't. And a DNA test told me that. If I had known that when I was a kid, I think it could have solved a lot of things because I could just own part of it instead of just trying to be viciously proud of who I who I was and the culture that I grew up with, and it would have saved a lot. But on one of these picture days, my mom, I think it was third third grade, uh, my my hair up and I went to school and literally within like five minutes of hitting the playground I was backed up against the school and encircled by I would say probably every African-American kid in my grade school um, kind of taunting me about it and trying to pick a fight and there was one white girl who parted them like the Red Sea walked through there, grabbed me by the hand and yelled at all of them and said, you leave her alone and pulled me out of that crowd. And her name is Carol Williams. I told her this story later and mm. loved her ever since. We always competed for first and second chair in clarinet. And I <laughs> always fine with her winning because of that moment. And um, 
so for me, it's, it's a little bit different because I have the skin color, but because I had white, uh, you know, white family, I was always given a certain amount of privilege that, that other kids of color were not given. And I think that they saw that, they knew that, and it pissed them off and they wanted to be up because of it. Um, and also I think they could see those things in me and thinking that I was denying them pissed them off more. And so I, I just had this conversation via email with my friend from grade school and it's made me think a lot about, you know, the experience that I've had being biracial and, and the time that I've come up and it's, uh, it makes, I guess it brings up another shadow side of me because I, I don't feel like I can own either side of the argument, really. Gotta be tough. Hmm? That's gotta be tough. But I've certainly had those moments where I went to, you know, my white friend's house and knew that their mom or dad were looking at me funny or knew that, you know, one guy stopped dating me because his mom met me or something like hmm. that. I certainly have had those moments. Yeah, I think it points out to Huang's idea of a lens, you know, like, was it straight up in your face, you know, in generations in the past? Was it turned a blind eye? And now is it um, straight up in video? You know, it's like Will Smith was saying, racism didn't go away. It's just getting filmed, right? Right. And so... To that point, you know, another idea that I thought about for children is depending on what school you go to, you know, the education that you get and the books that go into it. Um, for those of you that don't know or for all of you that should know, you know, a lot of textbooks are created um, in one section of the country under a specific belief system. And they can leave out certain ideas about where um, the transgressions of indigenous people and um, African-Americans move through. And so then kids are not given the chance to have these conversations that are hard. Um, but I hope really that we start to ingrain, as we've mentioned with other portions of mental health, back into the educational system where people aren't afraid to tackle these topics because the kids need it. And there's always, I think, tools, and this could be something that we may even, I would like to kind of hear each of our sentiments, you know, what are some ways we might suggest people starting the conversation with kids? You know, for example, I think I told you guys, um, I sent this little, I think it was like little, little talk to it was like a deck of cards that were all about questions to my sister that you could pull around a dinner table and have children answer and it'd be a little bit more poignant and directed rather than just like how's your day and what's going on in school or how are your friends where they have to really think about things or another stuff to me was like drawing you know a lot of times kids draw things certain things and like oh well what's this picture about like oh something was going wrong with this day like can you describe it to me or can you, um, can you act it out, you know, because they can't, 
dependent on their age, verbalize truly how they felt about seeing some of those images that you mentioned in Didi or noticing some injustice on the playground or feeling the lack of support from their parents because their parents are so ingrained to the recent events. You know, how can we suggest activities for people to interact with the kids and have the kids express? All right, I'm going to move inside for a little bit, okay? <laughs> I think you hit it on the head there with the whole, the component that, that is going to lead this change is education. Um, I'm reminded, I think it was Galileo said, you can't, you can't really teach anybody anything. You can only lead them to discover it in themselves. Mm. One of the big things that I hope happens is straight to the point, Sean, of it starts with the textbooks and what you're taught. Like we are taught this glorified, you know, white people came and made this savage country great um, history. And it was already a great country before we got here. There were people who had amazing civilizations and they used the argument, oh, but they were savages. Were they though? You know, it's just like, just because they practiced something different at that time doesn't mean that it gave us the right to come and wipe out everything. They, they believed and take over everything they had. And it was, it was before I was in high school before I had a teacher who was willing to tell me the real history. And he broke down everything and what, what we were taught and what really happened. And a lot of that blew my mind. And I thought I should have known this a long, long time ago. Um, I think if we start with that and kind of get rid of the great white myth of America and teach people exactly what we've all done to each other and let kids process that and let all of us process that and own that, then we can move forward and say, okay, so yeah, you know, we're basically, as my friend Chris put it out, we're animals and animals have always done things in a different hierarchy to other animals, but we're animals with sentience and we can say, okay, we don't have to behave that way anymore. But we have to understand that what we've been told we are is a lie and that what we really are based upon is something pretty barbaric and it's been barbaric since we started. And mm. we can own that and heal from that then everyone can see that and say, no, that's not the way we want to be. Yeah, I think right now America is undergoing a identity. We're a very young nation state, uh, so we're less than 240 something years old. We just completed our first so-called Pluto return according to astrology. So right now we're in the midst of it, this is the beginning, but we are seeing the intensity of it. And a lot of it is about who are we as Americans? Because I don't, America exists as a nation. We exist as a nation state, a state in the sense of more of the capitalist sense, uh, the sense of what happened after World War II, when you start seeing nation states come about. 
prior to that, you have the existence of empires. So we're a pretty interesting phenomenon because we existed without ever having to deal with the question of who are we, what is our identity. We kind of accepted people in purely utilitarian economic sense. Okay, do your thing. As long as you pay your taxes, you're good to go, and you contribute mm-hmm. to the economy, you're good. So America, since it's and its declaration of independence was based on um, economics. So it was based on the the pursuit of property, <laughs> more or less. Uh, this was you know, the, the philosophy of the time. And so it makes perfect sense. It represents that type of capitalistic mentality. And so we kind of coast our way through the last 200 something years without having to say, who are we as a nation, as a people? So we ended up having pieces of people, like sections of people living. There is a black America, there is a white America, and then there are the immigrants American, and there are the indigenous America. So we existed not having a shared identity. And right now that has been brought up. I, for example, the question right now is, I'm black. Do I, am I the, do I have the same rights as you, as you white Americans in America? And so now we have to go all the way back to those deep, questions of what is our identity as Americans? Can we exist as a nation and not simply as a state, you know? Uh, And those are are deep things because my experience in America uh, is from an immigrant background. So I came to the United States when I was nine years old. So I always live in kind of like a dual culture type of things. And so being Vietnamese, uh, we have a very long history. So our own history is thousands of years old with very complex relationship to other nations. A lot of, you know, history of war, a lot of history of of stuff. So being Vietnamese, Vietnamese American, you have to end up dealing with all the baggages that comes with having very rooted culture and all the things that come with good and the bad. While being American, we have, we're not a rooted society we're kind of unrooted society we kind of we're a society that kind of move around a lot and we're we're very young we're only 200 something years and so it was an interesting experience because there is a clash of values growing up uh, Vietnamese are very traditional even if when we even though we live in the modern state modern United States we have very traditional values in terms of what is expected of you as a person what is your role in society what are your responsibilities and duties to others around you and to your parents to others etc to your siblings etc and so growing up i had to deal a lot with that of reconciling between the two value systems of the american ultra independent kind of value system and the traditional vietnamese culture of you know putting family first so childhood growing up was dealing a lot with that and coming to terms with that. And, and because you had to deal with that d- dynamic, you kind of see how people around you are not really dealing with those things. <laughs> like we kind of don't realize that we have all those issues that we need to address and kind of process. Uh, and now it's kind of in our face because the time has come. We can no longer ignore it as we did before. Uh, the kids growing up nowadays, they see themselves as a nation. They don't see, you know, immigrants. They don't see, you know, black people and indigenous people. They grew up in an America that 
that wants now to have a full sense of itself. And I think it's, a, it's almost like a birthing process. If we fail to come to terms with who we are, there will be no America. Because mm. we shatter, we just break apart. So, the, so right now is a critical time, I think. And it's a time of, of asking ourselves, coming back to ourselves and saying, are we a nation? <laughs> are we willing to say finally that we, being black, white, we are all part of one family? Or are we going to break apart because, you know, you know we, we've got, we're just not going to treat each other uh, as one. But we start seeing our differences and fight among ourselves. Yeah, I saw... Uh post about that where some of the CIA or higher level operative people were paralleling the reminiscent scenes of they look at in other nations when it's like a red flag for when the democracy fails and we're seeing a lot of those scenes here in the US and they're worried about that um, so to your point about an opportunity you know even talking about the election come this fall i think it's where it's really pivotal and the other thing that spoke to me huang was this idea of um the social contract and going back to education i think that should be a big portion of what we talk about where for example this teenager i work with he has a class called human d human development and i was like wow what a cool class like i never had anything like that where they talk about you know, current events or some of these deeper questions that you asked about who we are. Um, and I think that's a place beyond what we mentioned in Didi in terms of the textbooks and the great white myth about this country is just like how we deal with our societal contract, even to the degree of um, looting and violence. You know, I, I heard another great sentiment of if the social contract is to respect property and respect economy and respect people's privacy to things um, and agency, uh, but yet every single day of a black person's life, they've been looted and seen as less. Why should they, not that they were even the ones that were doing it, um, but any person for that matter, agree to a social contract? Because that's what a society is. And I think that's a big question that we also need to tackle with our kids and with the youth is what do you need to buy into? Um, what do you want to succumb to? Because there's a lot of mindless um, group think as we grow up. And what are you willing to change? Like we're seeing with this Gen Z where even though it's so matter of fact for them, it's still not going to be their truth until they take over power, just like the millennials are starting to step into power in certain political positions. So I think with tying it back into ACEs, the idea of how much of life is inherently adverse because of the degree in which and how society is ran rather than uh, aces are just these things that you talk about with your psychologist or psychotherapist um, but rather 
mom or dad, what was your adverse childhood experience? Or grandma, grandpa, what was your childhood adverse experience? And how did you handle that? And it being a commonplace conversation. It's cool. That's, that's, yeah. I mean, I would love to ask my grandparents what their aces were. Mm. <laughs> Probably very different from us. I think every generation have their uh, adversities and that kind of define them as a generation. And with that, they try to establish a, a social structure that rest those adversities. But of course, as time changes, different adversities come about, different challenges come about. And that's where the new generations come in because they then take on that adversity and they um, would have to create solutions to those adversities. Um, so bringing me back to a more medical perspective, because right now we're kind of um, having addressed all the social issues because that's what's really happening and kind of dominating our life right now is that all these major shifts in society, but bringing it back to a more... Um, so we human beings, from a TCM perspective, we go through cycles. So the Shen dominates this cycle. Without Shen, there is no life. When the Shen enters, then there is life. So we talked about the process of embryology where the young father and the yin from the mother, so the sperm and the egg meeting each other together, creating a process of, of creating a structure to house the spirit or the Shen or the psyche. Um, and then we have a period of 10 months of gestation, uh, which each element dominating each of the two months. So the first two months are wood elements, the second two months are fire elements, the third two months are earth element, uh, the fourth two months are metal element, and the fifth two months are water elements. So if at any of that time of gestation there is trauma to the mother, uh, we can expect an in, what we call insufficient jing when the child is born, affecting those particular areas of the child's you know, uh, systems. So that's what we call like um, in inter, uh, intrauterine or prenatal trauma, stuff like mm -hmm. that. Uh, human life itself is dominated by a cycle of 60 years. Uh, two 60-year cycle is what is called the superior longevity period. So the first 60-year is the more developmental cycle. It is a time when people are developing themselves as people in society. Uh, we are born as an individual, but we learn to become part of the society through having to interface with social problems, with social issues that needs us to develop ourselves so that we can become cultured into a, a proper human being. And all that takes place within the first 60 years. Uh, the second 60 years is like a second go round. It's like when you refine those skills. But as Confucius says that it took him 60 years to just become <laughs> <laughs> coming to terms with himself. He says that only by his 70th decade was he able to do things he wanted to do without making mistakes. So he said, <laughs> you know, I, was, I, I screwed up a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> in the analytics. It's part uh, of the process. <laughs> it's part of the process. So um, how do we look at that uh, six-year period? Well, we can look at it from the five element uh, cycle with each of the element dominating each of the 12 years. So critical periods of, in terms of their 
outlook on the cycle. So we call it Jupiter cycle in astrology. Uh, Jupiter return every 12 years to the same location. So the first 12 years wood, second 12 years fire, third 12 years earth, fourth 12 years metal, and then the last five years is water. Uh, in, a, in common popular culture, we see a lot of issues with these transitions, in particular with the fire, the 24-year period. We call that the quarter-life crisis, when people are just finishing college and they're like, what am I going to do with my life, you know? And I see that a lot in clinic, like, you know, 24-year-old come in and he's like, oh, I don't know what to do with my life. I think I'm going to go and travel Europe for like a year and then come back or something like that. <laughs> so we see that a lot. And then, of course, midlife crisis at about 48 years old. A lot of women, a lot of people in um, probably very career-oriented women who are like CEOs and stuff, they come in and they have that frozen shoulder phenomenon. Uh, on the metal channel. Uh, so that we see a lot as well. And men especially uh, also have this andropause things where they have this kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm getting ready to retire, but I'm not ready to retire and stuff like that. So a lot of value issues. So in, in, a, in common society, we, we recognize the quarter life and the midlife crisis. And in TCM, we kind of look at it from that five element cycle of what to address. Uh, we can also look at the 60 years in terms of decades, as in six decades, and it follows five elements pretty similarly. So we have that wood, um, uh, the fire splits into two, into the uh, imperial fire and the ministerial fire that dominates the second period of life, uh, uh, second decade of life, and then the third decade of life. And then we have earth for the fourth decade. The fifth decade is metal, and the last decade, the 60 year decade, is the water. So we look at that cycle, and that is more of the challenges that are being proposed. So the decades mark out what we call the Saturnian cycle, or the decades of self-mastery, the decade of developing skills. When we're looking at Gen Z right now, they're in the first two stages of their development. They're in that wood stage, where they are expressing their optimism and aspiration in, uh, into life. And and unfortunately, they're seeing a lot of chaos at this moment. And that is quite unhealthy for kids under 12. When you're under 12, you're developing a lot of that optimism. You're like the happy-go-lucky kid that wants to see the world in rainbows and unicorns, and you want to see the best in everything. But when you're getting the message that the world is kind of screwed up, there is no regularity to the world, and there is no structure to the world, that is very jolting. Because at this time, it is the parents' job and consequently the society's job to provide that strong earth elements to balance the excess wood element of that kid. The kid is expressing that optimism for the world and the world is supposed to show the kid that the world is regular. There is rule and there is no sense. There's no regularity in things. And that's not what they're seeing. They're looking on TV and the leader of their country is just all over the place and society is all over the place. And that is... Uh, you know, extremely unhealthy right now. And for the older Gen Z generation, whether right now, the oldest of them would be about 25 at the moment, uh, they're like, I'm gonna um, establish myself as, as an independent individual and gonna establish myself in the world, but right now the world is collapsed. There is no place for you to go and become independent. So at that level, they're kind of like, what, do I, what am I supposed to do? Where, where, um, where am I supposed to go, you know? So even when the world was like calm and 
the economy was good and everybody was happy, I was still seeing patients coming in, in at their 24th year and saying like, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. You know, my, I'm just going to give up and just go to Europe for a little bit and just travel around, I guess. So right now, those kids are experiencing all this. When the world is supposed to be the structure that give them guidance on how to go to those um, uh, points of transition, right now, they, they're getting none of that. And, and, I, and if left unchecked, I think it was going to really affect their whole life cycle. So in the Neijing, it says um, the, the regular transition or the changhua of the qi is meant when the, when the element itself gets to the self-contentment, uh, self which means it expresses itself fully. If there is an arrest to those periods, then um, at the opposing season, there will be an upset. So we, what, what this means is that, like, for example, if a kid was, not, was kind of like shooed in to something to do without having the time to dream about what he wanted to do, to think about what he wants to do. For example, when he was five until about 12, he was already told that he was going to do this and that society without allowing him to dream about it. Then at the opposite phase of life, which is his midlife at about 20, 48, he would have an extreme upset of midlife crisis because it was as though his inner child was denied the, the right to be a child. Um, and then it rebels at the opposite stage of life. So right now, looking at this, we're looking at potentially creating developmental arrest in a lot of our children if we are not able to reestablish social stability and kind of create a safe environment for them to develop themselves fully as children. Because we're expecting them right now to solve our world problems, which they are children, and they cannot solve our problems for us. So that's, yeah. that's where right now. <laughs> Very, very difficult situation for those kids. But. Many good points. Yeah, thank you for sharing all that, Huang. I think the biggest thing for anybody who's listening and for all of us practitioners out there is to kind of continue to come back to that um, timeline because it can sort of project, you know, the things that we talked about, what we're looking for in children. Um, and when you really need to say like, okay, is this something that cemented an emotion or a feeling or a lack of processing in you versus um, did they build resilience to it? And some of those things may not come up until decades later, like you said, Huang, but as long as we can continue to educate uh, coaches, parents, teachers, you know, more on TCM, which is, I think, uh, near and dear to our hearts um, here at Prescriptions, we can stop the wood transmuting into anger or the fire um, turning into anxiety or a lack of fulfillment and acknowledgement. Because I could come up with multiple uh, stories, you know, as you were speaking, where things occurred in my life when I was angry before the age of 12 or during 12 to 24 where I was feeling a lack of acknowledgement or a lack of contentment in my life because we know those are related to the wood and the fire element. Yeah, I can think of a lot too. That makes so much sense. 
I think one thing that I found really interesting, I forget what the, the other scale is called where you assess how many good things you have balanced it out. I can't come up with the name right now, so maybe one of you guys can help me. But um, the thing that struck me the most was how much power having somebody in your life who was positive and always there for you or someone to talk to um, really mitigated a lot of the negative. And I think now it's really more important than ever that each of us on the planet, you know, in our daily lives, we've talked about it before, just is there and shows kindness and acknowledges uh acknowledges the child in the room, acknowledges, uh, gets involved in, in PTAs or make sure you support your kid and show up at their sporting events whenever they come back after COVID. Um, but all these things that you can look back and say, wow, I mean, I can think of, I was a latchkey kid, you know, so I can think of tons of neighbors that I would make my daily trek to. I mean, there was a, a family across the street from my apartment complex. Looking back now as a grown lesbian, I'm sure I just had a really bad crush on the mom, but um, it was back when, uh, <laughs> when hot chocolate first became instant. In, and they were first, uh, one of the first people to kind of rep it for Nestle. And they used to give me packages and packages of this stuff. And that's how I got to know them. And then they just became one of my stops during the day where when my parents were at work, I hung out with these people. And I had surrogate mothers and fathers all over all of my neighborhoods. And... I'm sure that did a great deal for, you know, me being the person that I am. And so it's been, it's been kind of interesting. I notice when I'm out and about, when I do see children, I, I mean, probably to the detriment of, I should be asking their parents a little bit more, but I find myself engaging a lot more with kids. And I always did, but I, I'm finding myself doing it more and more now just sure to say hi to tell them something that I like about them or just just trying to make a little impression that that this stranger thought it was cool I think that's important and a good way to like socialize your child and because a lot of people just ignore the kid because they're not on the same intellectual level they're like I can't learn anything from this kid but they're so pure they can learn a lot from them um, back to your question about how we can talk to our children about what's going on. It, I, that was a hard question for me to answer and to think about because I'm not a mom yet. Um, so I don't know exactly what I would do, but I can see how parents want to like protect their children from all the the awful things that go on in the world and how how young is too young to like start talking to your children about awful things because maybe if you like 
lead them on to think that everything is perfect. And then you're like, actually, it's not that great. That could be a little bit harder for them to digest than raising them to know that there are injustices in the world. So I don't exactly have an answer, um, but that's just what I was thinking about it. And Wang was saying a little bit about singing with children or having the children sing to like, maybe they don't know what they're thinking at first and just like letting that emotion out in a way and singing and breath work with children, I think would be really important things to do. Yeah, right now a lot of kids are, are processing this in a pre-verbal way, which means they're processing it through their bodies. Uh, they're responding from more of a autonomic nervous system way of doing it, which means they are um, re responding to the fear, responding to the uncertainty, responding to the fear around them, the parent, the adults are projecting out. Mm -hmm. So what they're doing is that they're storing it all inside their bodies. And so the best thing we can do for them is to come up with activities that help with uh, showing them that they can take care of themselves. They can self-regulate, so that type of like uh, um, auto-regulation. Um, of course, teaching them to be able to recognize their own feelings is a really important tool. And I think, unfortunately, we grew up not having a society that, that value that. So we were never taught to recognize our emotions. And so we grew up stunted <laughs> in terms of emotional intelligence. But um, it's good to teach your kids that, uh, to show that they should value their own internal feelings of what they're coming up and then show them techniques to actually help regulate those. So uh, when I was talking to a pediatrician, I was telling her about having at this moment when we're locked down, there is no school, there is no structure of regularity left for children, which before was, uh, was served by the schools. We should, uh, as parents at home, provide them with some regular schedules of activities and also singing is important because fear is we call kidney energy and the control cycle we would be earth earth is responsible for regular schedules it is also uh, the the energy of singing so having songs chanting together is very important so i told her like to break out those disney you know sing-alongs help the kids you know uh show the kid that when they sing and be happy they can actually start feeling oh i'm not as frightened anymore not fearful anymore and it shows them they can regulate you know it shows them they have agency and is able to regulate their own internal emotions and i think that alone is really important for them because society is going through its own thing uh, what is important right now is the relationship of the children to their adults and I think Didi, what was Didi was saying is really important because I've said it a few times already. It takes a village to raise a child. It's just pure, you know, statistics because you're born with a certain personality and you may or may not match your parents' personality. Exactly. Are your own choice. You're screwed as a kid. So nature develops us to live in a in a village in a society where we have multiple failsafe. Redundancy is nature's, you know, miracle. It makes sure that things needs are met in a in a good way. But unfortunately, in modern industrial society, we have this nuclear family where we don't have the kids interact with other adults, and that's problematic because they're, if it turns out they they will they won the lottery and got a, a parent who personality matches theirs, that's good. But for those kids that don't, you get a lot more problems. 
And people say attachment problems it results from you know uh, unhealthy parent-child relationships, and that accounts for one in five of Americans. They say suffer from unhealthy attachments with their parents. So it's a major issue for us right now as a society, but that's the result of having an industrial society where we kind of isolate ourselves from each other. We don't have community anymore. We just have parents who go to work and kids who are raised with their parents. This kind of overly ultra-nuclear family thing is not how we evolve as human beings. We were evolved to be social, to live with and interact with other people. So I think it's important that we have this kind of backup layer of relationships built in to our lives, you know? I think it's funny, Hung, that uh, ABC twice did those Disney sing-alongs. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need more <laughs> songs yeah <laughs> yeah but to your point jess about go ahead to your point jess about learning from the kids i think for those that maybe don't have the faculty to um help them cope should take it on them as parents to be like how do i cope and, and learn with your kid in certain ways um, because whether we're talking about the emotional maturity of things or we're talking about uh, hate in the world and the purity of heart you know when you consider kids and the blank slates that they are a lot of the issues that we've created here in terms of injustices that we've spoke thoroughly about today um, aren't present for children and when you ask kids about inequality and you ask kids about the environment and you ask kids about community inherently so many times they come from such a place of love and if the parents are really willing to hear that and see that bright shin and that clean that clear shin maybe they can ingest some of that within themselves and learn together. I think politically we need to realize that for all the steps that we've taken forward, in some ways we need to take a few steps backwards. And if we are going to reassess where we spend our money, how much we give to police, things like that, the money that we take away from them, and I'm not necessarily advocating that, you know, police um, budgets need to be cut. I, you know, I, I can't really speak to that, but I do know that things like art and music and recess and all these things that have been taken away from kids that were a part of my generation, and hopefully you guys got plenty of that too, um, they don't get that now. The emphasis is put on how many hours of study can we get them into or homework so that they can complete these tests and we can show that they've done all of this. And I think that's going to have to change because as you said, Huang, you know, it's about the social interactions and you only get those when you sing together in a choir, when you play together on the playground you have those moments where you know, okay, I'm going to go blow off steam with all these kids and play kickball. And you have to 
school fights and you realize that you're all the same and the the teacher on the playground helps you work through your disputes and um you have that experience and if everything you have is just like okay you just need to succeed and we need to be able to show that you pass these tests so we can get this much more into our budget um, at the cost of not being able to play and not being able to have a music teacher come. I mean, we only had a music teacher a couple of times a week, I think, when I was a kid, but looked so forward to that. And to not have that or to not have recess, I can't imagine how stunting that must be. Yeah, I think I remember when Jim was phased out for me during middle school or some sometime. Oh I remember in one year and then the next I said we're not we don't need to do it anymore. And I was like, okay. But things were yeah, education was changing then too, becoming more, you know, <laughs> oriented and not uh, relationship oriented or socially oriented. And I think it's kind of a form of torture to expect a kid to sit in one place for like eight hours a day. That's kind of weird, but it's a part of our society that we came to kind of accept. It's like, it's normal for a kid to six, to sit in one place for eight hours. <laughs> as long as you put them on medications. I th <laughs> Honestly, I think if they had tried to take away those kind of things when I was in school, it never would have flown. Like our, our parents would have picketed. We, as kids, we would have been like, no. <laughs> I totally would have been like, no. Yeah having recess i'm i'm gonna climb the rope today i'm gonna do my thing like i there would be no way i would have accepted the loss of gym recess same iceless moments for me too i had to get that presidential physical fitness patch you know <laughs> i know trauma for a lot of people out there is a whole different story but for me it was great president uh that was good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all for another great conversation. Thank you. About it's just such a wide topic, and right now so much is happening. At least we we kind of gave our views of what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope that the acupuncturists do get involved in doing some of this, you know, the ACEs work. I, I think there's a place for us to do it. We just have to get in there and apply and, and show them that, uh, you know, we, we can help with these things and get some of those kids getting acupuncture and herbs at a, at a young age and teaching them how to take care of themselves and, and different breathing and qigong and have them take that to the friends and you know it, it could be a great movement and so hopefully we'll all get involved yeah and especially right now it's it's like an ounce of, of prevention is worth a pound of medicine kids right now if we treat them they'll be fine yeah it's, it's, they haven't had decades suppressing all those chi into fixed patterns yet so for right now, we just need to tickle them and they're good to go, you know? But <laughs> for another 30, another 20 years and you've got serious issues that gonna take a lot more effort to, to solve. I have to leave that to you guys because I think I'll be retired by them. <laughs>
just the last couple of few words to add on to Didi, you know, um, she mentioned a few of our modalities. I think Shonishin, um, a non-invasive technique is really key for children. Also, um, there's a lot of like manual therapies in terms of gua sha or cupping or twina um, that can just be highly effective for children. Um, and acupuncture can be used uh, for those that are willing to try it at a young age. But I think Chinese medicine and the pediatrics of Chinese medicine, uh, I hope people in the community can educate themselves on it, that it's not just this uh, modality for adults to use. Um, and especially the Chinese philosophy of focusing on your your inner world of meditating and uh, learning to self-soothe to acupressure and other self-health techniques like qigong and uh, tai chi and all that i think those are really effective for children because it gives them a, a, a an inner locus of control a sense of like agency like i've been saying and that's where them that is really important in a world that's so chaotic showing them that oh my god this fear that is overwhelming me if i just sing or do these points or just massage myself in these area, I can actually have control over those emotions that are overwhelming me. That's important for them. The dream. Yes. Right on. Right on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to say, if you have children, just talk to them and listen to them. And just think about how you can learn from them. And you might not know everything just be open to change and listen that's all i can ask so thank you guys thanks guys thank As you always have a good one thanks, thanks for, for tuning, tuning in. in until, until next time, time. salute, salute.